Welcome to the Coast to Coast podcast. My name is Kyle. And I'm Misha. And today we're going to be discussing the premiere of A24's The Lighthouse, starring Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson, uh, as well as our initial thoughts on Call of Duty Modern Warfare and Blizzard's announcement of Overwatch 2. Uh, and after that, we'll get to an interview with one of Kyle's good friends, Jabal, uh, about the intertwining of fashion and entertainment and pop culture. But before we get to that, Kyle, been watching, reading, playing anything interesting lately? Um, so watching, I decided to make the leap into Law and Order SVU. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think everyone's seen Law and Order. If you haven't seen Law and Order, I don't know what you're doing. Um, but I wanted to start it and I wanted to start from the beginning and I couldn't find the original one anywhere. Um, I think the only place I found the original Law and Order was on iTunes and with like 22 seasons at $30 a season. <sighs> I don't know. It's quite an investment. <laughs> right. Um, but I did. So I, on Hulu, um, not a sponsor, they have Law and Order SVU. One yeah. One day they have Law and, or- Law and Order SVU and, um, I've been starting there. I'm on season three out of like 21 or 20. Um, just pushing through that. What about yourself? Uh, yeah, I've been, Shannon recently got me. So I guess we've both kind of been interested in somewhat older shows that we're just now kind of getting into. Um, for me, Law and Order SV used to be kind of the inspiration that, so for any listeners who aren't familiar, Kyle and I attended a legal studies academy when we were in high school, and that was one of the things that had kind of a profound effect on me choosing that. But uh, yeah, lately, Shannon, my girlfriend, got me interested in Survivor. So that's a show that she and her family watched a lot growing up, um, kind of like a family bonding thing. And I'd never really given it a shot, always thought it was a little cheesy. But uh, we're working our way through my first full season. And I've got to say, I'm pretty addicted. Wasn't there someone from Virginia Beach who won Survivor? So there was an ex-Navy SEAL uh, of Survivor fame named Rudy. I don't think he ever won. He might have won one of the like reunion seasons, but his original season, he got pretty far. But oh yeah, he was kind of yeah, he was kind of a local celebrity in Virginia Beach. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's intriguing. I mean, like, there's a lot of kind of drama with different cells and different like alliances kind of backstabbing each other and um also like physical and mental challenges that play into the whole thing as well mm-hmm. um it's just good like mindless entertainment i guess um actually i wouldn't even really call it mindless like it's it's it can be kind of complex with it kind of gets your head spinning at times with the different alliances like forming other alliances or backstabbing each other or you're playing these kind of mind games with somewhat like weaker opponents things like that so i've been really into that and then last night we actually started a new show there's just so many goddamn shows out there mm-hmm. right now it's so hard to keep up uh but we started the marvelous mrs Meisel. uh i don't know if you're familiar on amazon prime uh, yeah amazon prime um and we got through two episodes a lot last night but um that was pretty entertaining um it was like <laughs> it's definitely not like super family friendly there's a lot of language and like in even in the first episode some nudity but it's like very light to the point where like it almost makes you forget about some of that stuff hmm. um but yeah it was it was pretty good and i know you know obviously there's a few seasons out already and uh, i know it's gotten some awards um, specifically for acting performances when it comes to like Emmys and Golden Globes and things like that. So uh, that's what we've been watching. Cool. Yeah, I think on speaking of Amazon Prime, Saturday the 1st, if Saturday is the 1st, um, Jack Ryan season 2 comes out, and I really enjoyed the first season of that. Plus, I've always okay. kind of been like a big Tom Clancy fan anyway. So, Right. Yeah, I, I never saw the first season of that, but one thing I am excited about talking about anticipated releases is um the disney plus uh streaming service that's coming out Mm -hmm. in later next month um not necessarily like i am a big disney fan for like disney movies or shows or things like that but there's going to be a lot of like original star wars content on the platform so there's going to be like a standalone i think like a boba fett series called the mandalorian 
and I'm, I'm a huge Star Wars fan, so definitely looking forward to the release of Disney Plus too. Did you buy your tickets for the the newest one yet? No, not yet. I'm not. I'm not really one for midnight premieres. Mm-hmm. Um, I find them a little stressful. I'm not like a huge fan of large crowds. So right, <laughs> uh, large crowds of people dressed up like R two D two or Obi Wan Kenobi. As much of a Star Wars fan as I am, doesn't sound too appealing. But before we get on with the rest of the show, we have this special interview uh, with one of my close friends and fashion stylist Jamal. It seems like that with every passing year, the worlds of fashion and pop culture become more closely intertwined. And definitely after uh, 2019, this statement rings truer than ever. Celebrities like Kanye West, Rihanna, um, and even Zendaya launched full-blown ready-to-wear collections, some of which hit the runways during Fashion Month. Today, we're going to dive into that a little bit more with Jamal. he is one of the more fashion forward thinkers that I have a relationship with and a close friend of mine. So Jamal, welcome to the show. Hey, what's going on? Thanks for having me guys. Of no course. Problem. Yeah. How is your, uh, how's your week been? Um, I don't know. It's Monday, right? So pretty, pretty okay. I guess <laughs> so how far. was your weekend? I guess it was a better phrase. Oh, weekend, um, weekend was fine. I didn't really do anything spectacular. It's not worth explaining. Mm-hmm. Right. You're well, making it a... can only go up from here. <laughs> right. Hopefully. I mean, it, it could go down, but let's hope it goes up. Mm-hmm. You're making a big move to Boston in a couple of weeks, right? No, I'm making a big move to Boston in a couple of days. Couple That'll be days. Friday. Wow. Yeah. And you're driving there from Jacksonville. Heck no, I'm, um, I'm flying out from jacksonville friday morning that's right i guess you don't need a car in the city i know it's um it's a, a big change for me so from i guess kind of your background could you kind of tell us how you got into kind of the industry of visual merchandising styling and creating kind of your own aesthetic sure so um i got into visual merchandising specifically um i was working at anthropology i actually left school i finished school um and was going back to um anthropology because i was doing like graphic design and and hated working at a computer and being at a desk um which you would think that you would figure that out in school because you're always at a computer at a desk but it's different when you are creating things for other people and have very little creative say so um i realized that i hated being at the desk and and fulfilling other people's creative needs and i went back to a summer job i had the summer before i finished school um and that was at anthropology and i was just there as a sales associate trying to figure things out um but Things kind of progressed really quickly. Um, I went from doing like back of house operations to um, being a sales associate and working with customers and then being um, one of the personal stylists there and then working really closely with the visual merchandising manager at the time. And that was actually my first time seeing what visual merchandising actually was because at the time, I, much like everybody else, thought that visual merchandising was just like putting things on a mannequin and um, making the store look nice, which a large part of it is, but there's so much more that um, that she showed me about kind of the psychology of shopping and being able to um, see a store as a customer and kind of, um, kind of be able to foresee the way they're going to shop. So I did a lot of, um, I guess, training under her, really, almost like an apprenticeship, but not really, but an actual apprenticeship. Um, and I just kind of learned a lot about um, structuring a floor and the flow of, of, of shopping and then working with the display coordinator and seeing like her really interesting process of uh, building props and things for the display for the store. Um, and so that became a really hands-on duty for me while I was there. And during that time, the visual merchandising manager at Nordstrom of that mall um, 
kind of saw me doing things in the window and we had a conversation and long story short i ended up um being recruited by him to join the visual merchandising team at nordstrom which is um where i like to say that i cut my teeth in um, and got a whole lot of experience um like doing remodels for stores because Nordstrom is like a really young company relative to the retail space and is, are still like opening stores and, and reinvesting money into some of their older stores. So I got to do a lot of that. Also learning a lot of the, the business side of visual merchandising and learning how to make um, aesthetic choices based on numbers, as well as developing a lot of brand partnerships and um, and coaching and teaching and developing just other people around me, which was something that I found to be um, a really exciting part of that job. So that's kind of um, how I got into that. And then I've worked for Nordstrom since, let's see, I started April 2017 and worked all the way until this month uh, where I got a new job for Wayfair kind of spearheading and directing their visual merchandising strategies for their new endeavors in the um, the brick and mortar retail space so that's where we are now so from jacksonville to atlanta and then now um going to boston do you predict or can you uh, kind of talk about how you've seen the different markets and how different trends kind of are coming about or maybe how they're being influenced in those different markets yeah for sure so jacksonville honestly florida with the exception of miami and just like a lot of the states along the coast um so like not not necessarily georgia well atlanta but the rest of georgia and then like south carolina north carolina all of those places seem to be like very true to a um a southern aesthetic in that they want to kind of adhere to like a really traditional perception of themselves and they're not really turning to like fashion week or uh, fashion publications to kind of get any sort of inspiration from or um, anything like that, really. And, and of course, you can't speak for everybody as as like this broad term, but for the most part, a lot of the people in Jacksonville and, and the rest of the South really just want to look nice and, um, and, and leave it at that. And they really kind of um, value most practicality within their clothing. And then you get to a place like Atlanta, which is really like an outlier in Georgia because the rest of Georgia is, is very Southern as far as their ideals are concerned. But Atlanta is a place where um, it's kind of really developing fastly the um, the fashion scene and the actually the entire entertainment industry in Atlanta is, is, is growing really quickly. And you see that um, with the way people dress and are, are willing to take risks. And um, they're much more open to an unconventional thought process when it comes to getting dressed and they're much more open to um to doing something that uh might um constitute a lot more staring and a lot more attention but they're okay with that and it's just interesting to think that you know 350 miles or more could could really change a person's outlook on the way they present themselves that drastically sure so <clears throat> jamal i have a question and you know obviously we're a very entertainment and pop culture focused podcast yeah for for you what has been maybe the most apparent influence that entertainment or pop culture has had on fashion and maybe more specifically visual merchandising whether that's like statistically or anecdotally um i think that well honestly at, at the surface level, a lot of times when you get things that are coming through the entertainment industry, they reflect in fashion by way of, like, really cheesy screen print tees, like how when um, emojis were really big, everybody had, like, an emoji t-shirt or, like, just this past couple, or this past year when Disney did all their live-action reboots with, like, Aladdin and The Lion King, there were, like, Aladdin and Lion King makeup palettes. It was. It's just been like the way that it's it's filtered through, or the way that the entertainment industry and the fashion industry 
have bought into the whole um nostalgic trend that is going on right now is, is really interesting to see and you kind of just see both the the entertainment industry and the fashion industry inform each other at different times like right now because of this whole nostalgic trend you see um like within fashion a huge 90s grunge inspiration through a lot of the styling and a lot of the things that are coming down the wrong way but you also see like a resurgence of friends and you also see like toy story 27 at this point and sure like there's there's no telling like where it'll end or who will be the next um influence whether it be the entertainment industry or the the fashion industry just kind of um all happens really organically i think sure yeah and i feel like even just a few years ago like the 80s was really big um and even before that like the 70s you'd see people wearing like the resurgence of bell bottoms or flare pants oh yeah not even a few years ago like a few months ago yeah so how how rapid is that that transition between i guess what's in and what's out and for you like what do you see as kind of the next um like re-emerging trend um it's you know what interestingly enough it depends when we talk about how things are being recycled as far as um time frame like decades that thing is happening pretty quickly at this point and from what i remember and i'm only 25 but from what i remember a while ago it 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 just didn't cycle through that quickly and now it is and it kind of makes you think like what actually is next because there are so many only so many times that you could reach back and figure out what else you can pull from before you're scratching the bottom of the barrel so when it comes to that kind of thing it happens really quickly but then when you have things that are a bit more um or trends that are a bit more socially inspired so like this whole um kind of line blurring of like gender normative uh, dressing within the fashion industry like androgyny has always been a really huge part of women's wear but now we kind of start to see men's wear in a place where it's conducive to anybody who wants to shop in the men's section can shop that and even if men wanted to wear something a bit less conventionally masculine it's not a really question of his masculinity but just like him expressing himself in a different way or kind of questioning what masculinity is so once we get into like the the trends that are a bit more about social statements and um that kind of thing i think that's going to stay around a lot longer or just as long as it takes for things to to shift in society which i'm really interested in seeing how that plays out so i I guess it it really it, it really differs like i would say that the trends that are derived from um, different decades are a bit more of what I like to call a micro trend um, and don't influence as much as they pay homage to. And then you have the bigger ones that are are more of a social impact that have um, have more of the intention of being a conversation starter um, that lasts a bit longer. Sure. So what would you say is more... I guess impactful for people I guess from in terms of, of fashion and trends would you say that like movies and television or or music or does it kind of depend on on the on the viewer hmm that's a really good question because fashion kind of plays two different roles in movies and television versus um music in that side of the entertainment industry because in movies and television the idea comes first like the setting the creative direction all that comes first and so by the time you filter down to what needs to happen amongst those things and like the stylist you need to hire it's almost as if the fashion just kind of acts as like punctuation kind of really cementing the time period they in they're in or like the cementing the socioeconomic status of those people or that group and then when in the music industry it's kind of almost like this i scratch your back you scratch mine kind of thing going on because 
the thing is that fashion is a lot less top down than it used to be and consumers are a bit more interested in what their peers are wearing or their most influential peers are wearing more than they are worried about what's in vogue or what's being sent down the runway which is completely different um, than how things were functioning 10 years ago and so now the fashion industry is is reaching out to people in the music industry like the rihanna's or the cardi b's or the miguel's or the whomever's um and really um latching onto those people using them as the faces of a lot of their campaigns um and hoping that they can get the buy-in from a consumer that way because it's not um it's not the way that it, it used to be anymore so i think that's how fashion kind of um acts within those two different realms of the entertainment industry i think it's a lot more um a lot more prevalent in the music industry in that it is um it's just like a, a symbiotic relationship and not to say that it's not in 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 the movie and television industry but it just it, it doesn't act as importantly if if you ask me that's my my opinion do you think that some of these designers that um you hear in in music kind of takes that to their advantage or and to kind of push new trends onto people especially i guess younger audiences but um absolutely well, yeah. um they're they're definitely brands that are struggling like michael kors doesn't really have the buy-in that it used to who's reaching out to um like younger artists to kind of wear their things and come to their shows and and hopefully they, they get the buy-in but like places like Dior or Kenzo or these these much more established um, brands don't really need that buy-in anymore. So mm-hmm. it um it it definitely does. You can definitely tell the brands who are a bit more. I don't want to say desperate, but sure. desperate for for the dollars. Right. Sure. <laughs> so Jamal, speaking from like your personal experience, um, is there like a clear example for you of a maybe a movie or a tv show or even like a performing artist that had a really profound effect on your own fashion choices something that really stood out to you yeah um as far as movies go the wolf on wall street was super incredible um the fashion and styling or the other costume design is what it's called um I think the suiting and tailoring in that movie was immaculate from the beginning to the end. And it was just interesting to see that um, that that era in time so vivid on the screen. And especially at the time when that movie came out, tailoring for men wasn't huge. It was all about like the streetwear and the athleisure trend was really big. And just to see something that was so different from that so vibrantly was really interesting. And then as far as TV goes, uh, the assassination of Gianni Versace had really great fashion in it. But, um, I mean, it, it was a Ryan Murphy production, and that guy has resources like nobody else. Right. But And, and then just to see the 90s in that way was was really interesting because, I mean, I was born in 93, so I, I vaguely remember a lot of that stuff. So I had a bit of a, nostal- a nostalgic feeling for that, and that was really interesting to see. And then I think in music... Um, like Rihanna and Miguel are, are pretty adventurous in my opinion, and those are the people who I think are the most fashion forward in the music industry. Um, I think there's always like a a Beyonce or um, a Chris Brown who is really palatable and that everybody can kind of relate to the way they dress, but like your Miguel or your Kanye West, even though uh, Kanye West is an entirely different conversation. <laughs> so um, and, no, and your Rihanna's are are a bit so more forward. Yeah. No love for the Yeezy line, or what? What are your thoughts I, on that? <laughs> okay, okay. Let's let's talk about <laughs> the Here we Yeezy go. line. I think um, <laughs> I think that Kanye West, honestly and unbiasedly, is probably one of the most artistic minds of our generation. I don't think that anybody can speak against that um especially like when um the visual part of uh my beautiful dark twisted fantasy came out that was like the most amazing thing i had ever seen at that time and then he started to do his own ready to wear and that was a really interesting take on leisure but it was still just like 
a really great conversation starter, and I think that's what the best fashion is. Um, I, however, am not going to spend $3,000 on a sweatshirt that I could find at oh, Goodwill. Sure. Yeah. And I'm also um, just personally waiting for Kanye West to um, kind of re regain his common sense. And I think he can still do it, but I'm just going to wait until he does before I patronize any of his business <laughs> sure yeah it's i mean i confess i have some of the easy line in my closet but we, i think uh... um i think that a lot of his his stuff is like innovative like you have to give the guy that and of course wear what you want to buy what you want to um What's i mean i don't I've ever see anybody wearing yeezys and i'm um, disgusted or anything i just personally am not <laughs> yeah because you right. have it seems like in the world of well i guess kind of right now that you have like your um like streetwear like you were saying the athleisure then you have like this whole it's like community of mm -hmm. what people call like the hype beast i guess yeah so they're like sure. always getting like the drops on day one they're always buying out all the the shoes um day one you, yeah and those are like those brands like you don't have a lot of the hype around like no one no hype beast is like wearing like gucci or like you know or i mean no, i guess they are would, but they're I like i would beg to dif differ i was gonna I say they're more for like so you see a supreme or you see like easy you see kith you see um, right fear of god i think a lot but when it comes to like i think Gucci and Saint Laurent and Tom Ford, they're a little bit more elevated than that and it kind of draws mm -hmm. a different buyer. But what are your thoughts? I so I think it just is it it all varies by the culture. The same way you see people get excited about sneaker releases, you see a lot there's like a community of people who are really excited about suiting and tailoring and spend every moment or every weekend they can going shopping for suits and getting those things altered and like are, are real advocates for menswear. And then the same when you see that, you see um, like women who have every, every color of Christian Louboutin showcase in their closet. And the same way you see that, you see people who have kind of just like collect Rolexes. I, I just think it, it depends on the person. It, it depends on what they see value in. And of course, at our at our age, nobody is spending six thousand dollars on a Tom Ford suit every weekend. It is more feasible for us to go out and like drop three hundred on on sneakers or whatever. So I I can see how that is a bit more accessible to us and how we see that more. But I I, I definitely have seen it in in all facets of the fashion industry. Absolutely. Um... Well, I think that's all the time we have for today. Um, really appreciate you coming on. Um, really, really deep knowledge of the industry um, and some really cool perspectives on uh, how fashion and entertainment and uh, pop culture really kind of are intertwined and have this, like like you said, of symbiotic relationship. Yeah. Um, but really appreciate you coming on. Uh, Thanks no, for having me. Took a couple of tries, but um, <laughs> best of luck with your with your move and your trip to Boston. We know you're oh, thanks, man. I really appreciate there. that. Yeah, yeah, of I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try it to first survive the winter, and then we'll talk about it later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right, talk to you later, Jamal. All thanks, right, Jamal. Yeah, bye. Peace. But um, tell me about your experience with Lighthouse. Yeah. So Shannon and I. Obviously, this is the opening weekend of the limited release um, throughout the U.S. of A24's The Lighthouse, um, directed by Robert Eggers, who is also the director of another A24 film, The Witch. Um, but uh, yeah, starring Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson, um, it was it was good. I mean, like like a lot of A24 films, A24 supports a lot of independent studios, um, a lot of independent filmmakers that tend to make more like visceral and artistic films. Um, and I think this definitely fits the bill. Um, but essentially the plot of the story is Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe play two lighthouse keepers in like the late 1800s. And it's about them trying to kind of hold on to their sanity as they weather a nor'easter, 
Um, and so it's about how kind of isolation kind of tugs at the, the strings of your sanity and um, blurs the lines between reality and uh, mania, essentially. I haven't been able to see it because, <clears throat> yeah, like you said, it was a, a limited release, so my local theater hasn't picked up the movie yet. So hopefully it they do that. I know um, you've mentioned before when they get kind of towards Oscar time, maybe local theaters will pick up more on these independent movies. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so obviously limited distribution for this one. Um, and I mean that box office numbers speak for themselves. I think it's only done a little bit less than $4 million in its opening weekend, um, which during award season, there's obviously blockbusters that far exceed that. But um, I think this one will definitely have legs when it comes to award season. Um, it's definitely a bit heavier, you know, being that more of an artistic piece, um, but is definitely carried by both Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson's performances, as well as just like incredible cinematography um, and production design that really kind of transports you to that like late 1800s Northeastern uh, sort of like maritime feel. Um, but it's shot entirely in black and white, like 35 millimeter. So it's very, it almost plays a bit like an old silent movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, the progression of Willem Dafoe's and Robert Pattinson's characters throughout the film, um, it kind of is reminiscent of The Shining um, and Jack Nicholson's portrayal of someone obviously not doing the best with isolation and kind of losing their minds and progressively getting more, more and more manic. Uh, I don't want to give too much away about the film, but um, obviously Willem Dafoe has quite an acting like shortlist. Um, and Robert Pattinson, you know, initially in his career was known more for like the Harry Potter films, the Twilight films, which are more like teeny bopper blockbuster hits. Um, but in recent years, he's really started to put together a string of performances that I think is going to uh, propel him and his career towards being one of those more like A-list actors. Um, so for instance, like Lost City of Z, he put in a really great performance, um, High Life recently, as well as the Safi Brothers Good Time. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I've seen just in the reception for this film, some comparisons to Daniel Day-Lewis, um, and his portrayal of the character in There Will Be Blood, um, which is obviously high praise given that Daniel Day-Lewis is like probably someone that I'd consider to probably be the best actor of our generation. Um, just a really great, uh, you know, method actor who is able to really, um, I guess, embody the characters he's trying to portray. Um, and I think this this film, I, I, I would expect both Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe um, to be among the nominees for either, like, best actor for Robert Pattinson, maybe best supporting for Willem Dafoe. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them both up there. Um, they do a really convincing job of playing these old kind of like crusty sea dog characters. Um, and yeah, like it's so good. In fact, that like they speak in this kind of maybe like late 1800s Northeastern dialect. That's extremely hard to understand at points. Um, but that I guess is also a credit to their acting skills and that they're able to um, convey meaning without necessarily like being on the same level as like people in the 2010s, um, America. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and another limited release um, movie that I haven't had the chance to see yet either um, is Parasite, and I really want to see that. Um, I know, um, I think you said Shannon had the opportunity to go see that um, in LA. Yes, so that that movie was actually one of the previews that preceded The Lighthouse. Um, so yeah, Shannon with one of our show's previous guests, Sam Stedman, um, were able to go see the premiere in LA. Uh, I think there was only, it only premiered in like three cities across the US. Um, but yes, they were of the lucky few that were able to see it. Um, Shannon seemed to really enjoy it. Um, obviously, uh, the director of Snowpiercer and Okja, um, who's been very like a very critically acclaimed Asian director. Um, but yeah, that's, that's another one I really want to see, but it's going to be hard given that <laughs> Shannon and I go to see a lot of movies together, uh, that she's already seen this one, but I'll, I'll probably try to make the time to see that one as well. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Um, there's not a whole lot out that I'm like 
racing to the theaters to see. I mean, the next one I'll probably see is Zombieland 2 because I kind of enjoyed the first one and it's just kind of like a fun movie to watch that doesn't really take itself too serious. Um, yeah, I enjoy those from time to time. And that was one that I feel like came out, the original one, in a time that you and I were getting really into movies. And that was mm-hmm. one I enjoyed a lot through high school. Yeah, but besides that, I feel like I've seen most things that are out now. Yeah, I mean, there's some Halloween movies out. I've never been a really big scary movie guy. Um, I don't know if you've gotten the chance to see Will Smith's Gemini Man. Um, um, I forgot all about that. Yeah, I mean, Will Smith has, hasn't been great. Like, of late, he's just made a lot of blockbuster mm-hmm. hits. Um, but, yeah, there's there's really not too much out yet. I mean, that'll, that'll change in a few months uh, as we see a lot of the, um, I guess, supposed award, um, award-winning movies coming out for award season. Right, 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 right. I think the next thing that I have kind of on my list that's coming out soon is um, Dr. Sleep. When's that come out? End of the month? Yeah, I think that comes out at the end of this month. Yeah, I uh, have you. Did you read the the book? No, I did not. Yeah, so it's essentially a sequel to The Shining. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, it's in the viewings that it has had it seemed to garnered a lot of really good critical reception Um, but yeah interested in that one and then another one that we'd mentioned previously on the show is um ryan johnson's knives out Mm, um so ryan johnson is obviously he's the director of um, looper if you ever saw that one was a really great kind of sci-fi action film very original not you know in this reboot culture, there's a lot of remakes and things like that. Really good original movie. And he also directed The Last Jedi. Um, but he's got like kind of a very diverse portfolio, you know, a sci-fi action, obviously like a space opera like Star Wars, and now doing sort of like a mystery whodunit. Um, so that comes out later next month. And um, I'm already a big Daniel Craig fan from the James Bond movies, but right. um, he's playing a detective in this one. Yeah, so we'll definitely have that on our calendars to talk about when that comes out next month. Um, I'm sure we'll, like you said earlier, dive into a little bit of Disney Plus content. Um, If you guys listening, of course, have anything that you want us to talk about, anything um, you want us to go see, definitely let us know. Um, But moving on to our next topic, we're going to be talking about blizzard's new announcement or leak if you want to call it a leak is their rumors for an overwatch 2 coming out so overwatch right now is um, pretty much one of the larger esports titles that we have that's kind of taken esports from a computer screen to mainstream cable television i see overwatch games being played um, on tbs they have their own league that's online. They, I saw them in a Buffalo Wild Wings the other day playing a match. Um, but yeah, now they've announced this Overwatch 2, which is kind of a completely different turn from what they've originally done. Yeah, so the announcement is supposed to become official this Friday, November 1st at BlizzCon. Um, but the this supposed Overwatch 2 is going to feature a few new things. Uh, so... Uh, PvE and PVE story missions, um, as well as a new character who we now know has the name of Echo um, in recent news, um, and some new maps. And um, I think what, what has really confused people is the fact that despite all these additions, people are kind of scratching their heads at why it couldn't just be like an update or even a paid update to its current iteration. Right. It's. It seems like when the game first came out, <clears throat> myself included, everyone was kind of kind of taken back from, oh, this game has no story mode. There's, well, what is this? Because um, that's something that we're so used to. Even games like Call of Duty that we've played, they still come out with campaigns. But I guess kind of this new trend of if you're trying to have this really competitive online game, sometimes you need to cut your resources, and a lot of that time is campaign content. But... I guess they think that this is something that people people want. Um, 
but yeah, I don't know. And that seems to make sense with the momentum and I guess the the uh, favorable reception to a lot of the character background stories that they've released. Um, so they have kind of, despite there not being a PVE or like campaigns type mode with Overwatch, they have kind of developed origin stories and like interrelated tales of the different heroes in this Overwatch universe. Um, so I'm, I'm guessing there must have been uh, that momentum that propelled them to do this, but um, I'm seeing a lot of people feeling like this might just be sort of a money grab. Um, you know, it, it seems logical that this stuff could just be pushed into an update, um, but it also comes at a time that Blizzard is currently embroiled in this whole Hong Kong-China extradition controversy. Uh, they recently find a competitive, I don't think it was an Overwatch player, but a competitive, some sort of Blizzard game player uh, who spoke in favor of China or in favor of Hong Kong protests. And obviously Blizzard has this really great business relationship with China and depends heavily on their, um, that, that market. Um, so, you know, with half the country sort of divided on Blizzard's stance, um, favoring China, you think it is kind of ill timed, uh, to be releasing, a, a new a new chapter of Overwatch, right? It's like oh, we have all this negative um, views in the media. Let's kind of oh, but let's, let's accidentally yeah, yeah, let's accidentally leak this Overwatch to the game that's coming out and have people talk about that and how how that's a great thing that Blizzard's doing. Yeah, or maybe it's like a PR tactic to try to <laughs> distract people. It's yeah. like hey, look over here, like we're. <laughs> we're sorry about the whole china thing like um, <laughs> right but you kind of saw riot another um big game company do the same thing and this whole thing with blizzard was happening and then all of a sudden you have riot who's famously known for their league of legends game that's pretty much all they put their resources in for like the past 10 years they announce seven or eight new titles that they're working on yeah and and one of those titles um I think is it called Project A? Yeah, the, right. Right now, that's Project the, A. The first-person shooter that they're working on. So this is one of their first ventures into the FPS world. Um, is going to be featuring obviously FPS gameplay, but also a degree of sort of Overwatch-style um, characters with special abilities. Um, so if you've seen some of the gameplay that's been leaked of Project A, you'll see that um, much like Overwatch, different characters will have. Um, different abilities that affect the gameplay around them or affect the you know the map and things like that so this is something that could potentially compete with overwatch and uh with overwatch's success in the competitive scene um there's this decision leaves a lot of questions to be answered and i definitely think when it comes to new game releases it's important that studios listen to their audiences and I mean, that's why we have betas and alphas and pre-releases and all that stuff because the game developers who make the game tend to not play the game as much as like an active, um, just a casual player. And that kind of is what's happening with the recent release of Activision's new Call of Duty title, Modern, War uh, Modern Warfare, not has no relation to the other Modern Warfare. It's just like a reimagining, I guess. Um, right. But they released this game last thursday and it seems like everything online is just you had a beta out for a month this is what the problems were we addressed them and you released it and nothing's changed yeah so what what are those to you i guess so obviously obviously you and i have put in a few hours in the time that's been released but being big call of duty fans what what is the big things that you've noticed so for me it's definitely the pace of the game it's a little bit slower which is i guess fine for people not really used to the call of duty uh franchise but mm -hmm. with the slower pace with the larger maps it's kind of a double negative if you're going to have larger maps you need to increase the pace if you're going to slow the pace down you need to have smaller maps um so probably the maps would be the largest thing for me no yeah pun i definitely noticed the pace um i think one thing that a lot of call of duties have stood on is like quick scoping and sniping um, if you've noticed, if you tried sniping in this game, it takes like ages compared to old Call of Duties to scope in. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel like that's kind of changed the dynamic of um, the game. But I, I agree, a lot of the maps are very large, 
And unlike a lot of conventional Call of Duty titles, they're also very irregular, I guess. I feel like most Call of Duty maps tend to be very open um, with like maybe two or three lanes. Right. Um, but with this, I feel like there's a lot of thin corridors. There's a lot of vertical levels. Um, there's a lot of just like irregularly shaped maps. Um, and I, I think, you know, it's, it's cool to see them, I guess, stepping out of their element a bit and forcing people to change, but I don't feel like the major Call of Duty influencers and competitive gamers out there are taking a liking to it so far. Right. And they've, Activision has kind of talked about introducing the game for more casual players, newer players even. Um, and that's great. Definitely for a franchise title like Call of Duty that has such a somewhat toxic online presence right. where if if you play now or growing up in the party chat or whatever the game lobby is just just nonsense all the time and i'm sure that's really intimidating to new players so they've kind of done different things with they even have a new mute system which i saw you can choose you yeah. can like mute the party mute just your um people who aren't your friends um to kind of get rid of some of that um bad behavior i guess you could say yeah so i mean obviously despite all the criticism um including the absence of a dead silence perk which is infuriate a lot of the pro gamers there is a lot of great things there are a lot of great things about this game so obviously um you know the mechanics are really smooth uh the sound effects they obviously put in a lot of work on i guess making it feel more immersive and real um and then i think like you said it made it a little easier for people to pick up and play but i think the inclusion of the 2v2 gunfight mode uh, at least allow people an outlet where you can truly depend on a lot of your gun skill and your like movement skills. Um, so they've obviously released this game mode where you play on smaller maps in a 2v2 sort of setting um, where you get allocated either random weapons or you pick up weapons um, and you kind of duke it out in a smaller arena. And I think that's going to really separate the men from the boys uh, and make for some a pretty cool competitive scene too. Yeah, for sure. And I think they even have in-game tournaments they're going to be running come this fall where you don't have to be on a pro team you don't have to play on third-party sites like game battles or umg you can play tournaments with your friends of all different skill levels right from the comfort of your own couch and your console right yeah so so far i'd i'd give it a thumbs up like i'm just a call of duty stand so um, but if you haven't if you haven't played it or download it, make mm -hmm. sure to make room on your PC or your console. It is a huge game and mm -hmm. kind of a pain in the in the ass to install. But right. um, I've enjoyed playing it so far. Yeah, and it's so like such the Call of Duty community <sighs> to like bitch about the game when it comes out and like say how bad it is and how oh this is the worst yes. Call of Duty ever. And then we buy it. We buy Call of Duty every year. Like I it's know. just like a and vicious circle. Like, all those people who are bitching about it, like. You know they've spent 12 hours a day playing it and <laughs> right? deep down they really like it but like yeah that is definitely the archetype of like a professional gamer is just a bitch about the game um but you know it would be heartening every once in a while to see them say something nice right and with that i think we talked about last week the changes to the call of duty um competitive scene so mm -hmm. i think that starts january i want to say so that'll be cool to watch um hopefully we can make it to some events and that'll be cool yeah we gotta travel but for me i think um i guess to wrap things up in the world of gaming um there's not a whole lot now for me to look forward to like it pretty much this after e3 and all the big announcements it was like oh call of duty's coming in october that's what i'm gonna sure. play um, Apex had a large season three release. Um, but as my gaming kind of life has transitioned, I know both of us pretty much grew up on console and we played consoles pretty much our entire lives. And over the past yeah. three years, we've kind of transitioned to PC. And it seems like the world of PC gaming is very different from the world of console gaming and even what games you're looking forward to. Yeah, I mean... I, I couldn't tell you the last time I played on console and I actually just donated my old PS4 to my brother because um, I just have been playing PC so much. But 
You have Overwatch 2 to look forward to. <laughs> yeah, if they want to charge me $60 to find out how Junkrat became a Junkrat. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, I did just hear news uh, earlier this week that Death Stranding is going to be coming to PC in 2020. So there was a lot of hype at uh, right. E3 uh, about that game. So you at least have that to look forward to as well. <laughs> so I guess before we leave, um, this is the time where we might want to do a little bit of like recommendations for the week kind of because um, our show usually comes out on Mondays. Um, so we won't talk to you guys again until next week. So one thing that I want to recommend this week is there's this book that just came out. Um, it's called the lost causes of bleak Creek. It's written um, by these two guys that um, I listened to their podcast. I watched their show on YouTube. They are phenomenal storytellers. They pretty much wrote this book about them growing up in Bowie's Creek, North Carolina, and it's kind of like a Hardy Boys style. Um, but it just came out today. I got it in Amazon um, or in the mail today from Amazon, um, and I'm already like halfway through. So that's my recommendation: Lost Causes of Bleak Creek on Amazon. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for the rec. Um, and then I guess for me, it's something that I've actually been working on for a little bit over a year and a half now is making my way through George R. R. Martin's uh, Song of Fire and Ice series. So if you're a fan of the Game of Thrones HBO series, um, I'd implore you to check out the books. They are, like I said, I mean, a year and a half in and I'm almost done with the fourth book. Um, there are five of the seven that are out. Who knows if he's going to finish them, but they're really rich. Um, provide like a lot of deep characterization of the of the characters you've come to know and love um, from the show and also have like a lot of really cool like folklore um, and sort of like game of thrones culture that they can't necessarily touch on um, in in the show itself so um, it's quite an investment if you buy i, I have it on my kindle um, but It'll last you a few years at least if you're reading at a steady pace. Um, but definitely would implore you to check check that one out. Yeah, and um, as a reminder, we are <clears throat> we are now on Apple Podcasts, so you can find us anywhere officially where podcasts are distributed: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. Share it with someone if you think they're interested in what we have to talk about. Leave us a five star review; that definitely helps us um, with the ratings and also being noticed and um, continuing doing what we enjoy yeah absolutely and as always we appreciate the listen um always interested in your feedback if there's something you want us to go see read watch um just let us know um, but with that we'll talk at you next week bye